We've been thinking of 9-11 and all the horrors of that day. I remember walking around campus and through all the steps, I remember on Senior Sheehan and in the kitchen, I was seeing the second plane hit. And then walking around the campus to talk to people, all the different campuses. I remember being over at the law school when the first tower fell. And uh, then I was over at the Kennedy School and the Dean of Students secretary uh, had kissed her boyfriend goodbye that morning and he got into the first jet that went into the first tower and he was in the front row. And so you can imagine her thoughts, his was one of the first names to come across, to scroll across the bottom of the screen. And so all of that was that close. Across the street, the two physicians, the Palfreys, were preparing with hundreds of other doctors from Mass General and the Brigham and everywhere else uh, to head down to, uh, to New York, to Manhattan, to help not, this is in the period before the towers fell, thinking that there would be the wounded, not the dead, uh, whom they could help and minister to. We think the cross is extraneous to life, but people close to us die. People, sometimes the nicest people, have trouble. And 9-11 and everything else reminds us that the cross is part of life. To back up a step, Jesus asks if they know who he is. And then he tells them, and Peter takes him aside to rebuke him and say, that's just not on because it isn't the patterns that the world expects. And of course, that's cr precisely Christ's point. And then he tries to set him straight, and he will. And perhaps only in the light of the resurrection is everything understood. You know, the, his whole message on earth is backlit, don't you think, by the resurrection, which gives it suddenly new and deeper and more profound understanding of exactly what's up and what he's, what he's about. So he's a realist. He's sent by the Father's love. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. We see that quote, that number held up all the time. But the question is, what does it mean? Where does it touch, touch ground here? And exactly how does it change our living if it does? Our second reading, James, is always concerned that it not be words, not a number, not biblical quotes, not Bible bingo, but change of life and results. Are we making a difference for other people? Not saying stay warm and well-fed, but think of the Catholic orphanages and the hospitals and so on, and food pantries that you see trying in actual fact to make a difference, not by words, but indeed by deeds. Those things are costing, and therefore the cross enters, if we're being Christians, every life. I think we've all heard of the serenity prayer. It's one of the most useful of things when you're trying to figure out what you can do and what you can't do. And when you run into people who pressurize themselves and come to trouble, I would say that one of the biggest incidents, reasons for that is they're not using the serenity prayer and they think they can control everything and then they up with, end up with anything from a breakdown to a heart attack. And so it's trying to discern what things I can change and having the courage to change them and then discern what ones I can, having the serenity to accept it because I can't do anything about it at the moment and then the wisdom to figure out which is in which pile, which is also another prayer to pray, don't you think? But if you look at the longer serenity prayer given us by perhaps the finest political theologian of the 20th century in this country, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, uh, one of the next clauses is taking this world as it is as Jesus did. This is the given. You know, a fellow once was giving uh, talks to high school kids and about uh, they, they would all come through about what profession you might choose. And this Benedictine monk from Latrobe said, uh, you know, mathematics is a completely man-made or human-made 
thing. All the givens are created by the bioptician. You go on from there. It's almost as if the physicians were allowed to invent the diseases. Well, a given of the world which we rail against, but it's good if we start noticing, is what our beliefs tell us sin in the world and selfishness, and that we factor that in in our calculation of what we have to field. Now, you can, feel that you can factor that in and field it by running back home and hiding behind the sofa, but it's not really a way to earn a salary. And so, in actual fact, uh, what we have to do is figure out how to work in the world, to change it for the better, to put our shoulder to the wheel of history and move the world ahead, which is rolling backwards in so many different ways. But it's not easily done. And here's the point. There will be a cross. Another way to put that, it will be costing. And it's not a matter that Christ is or telling us to be a masochistic, where we simply want to be hurt. Just the opposite. He's trying to do good, but he's sub subject to treachery. It says in our very gospel, today must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. They're the religious people, and they're again him. But what is the greatest complaint by people who don't want to go to church or want to do with religion? Their complaint is not really about true religion that Christ taught. Their complaint is religiosity. People trying to seem religious without being religious, without a change of heart. Those people who are still proud, those people who are still selfish, those people who are still lying about stuff, trying to have their own way, politicizing everything, having ulterior motives all the time, that's not religion. People use religion as a stick to hit people over the head, but it's meant to help and to heal, and it's not meant to harm. And it's really crucial that we make that distinction. St. Francis de Sales, the great advisor in the spiritual life, uh, used to say that some saints are to be admired but not imitated. He wasn't saying they weren't saints, but he said their plan and suggestion probably shouldn't be taken up by us and there are others who would give us a better sense of that. So we are not seeking the cross as something, a means, uh, an end in its own right. We are seeking to do the work of God. We are seeking to do the word of justice, to respect for human people. But in a world where there's little respect, where truth doesn't receive respect. You know, we're here in the midst of a, of a, of a plague, of a, of a virus, and we're in a world that we know our ancestors of recent vintage, you know, parents, grandparents, and so on, managed to not only conquer smallpox, but eliminate it, conquer polio and eliminate it. And we seem as if a great, our, our people sometimes seem to be on the side of the virus. <laughs> and it's gathering mutation and it's further spread. And so in terms of having to speak truth to people who don't want to hear it, or justice, or medicine, or science, or whatever. We're all in the boat of having to do that and realizing it won't be an easy matter. It won't be an easy matter. And uh, also to try to discern as a serenity prayer, have the wisdom to figure out which is in which pile. No easy thing. Sometimes the biggest cross is dealing with ourselves. Sometimes the biggest cross is dealing with our own disappointments in ourselves. Christ calls us to follow his path of love for others and love for truth and for justice. And in going out into an unjust world, you better wear armor, or at least to be armored by the fact that the good Lord went there first, and the good Lord's grace will be sufficient for us. And all the better that he kindly forewarns us today, not only of the shape of his own life and end, but also our, our own, but also our own. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please consider supporting us by visiting stpaulparish.org 
That's stpaulparish.org. God bless and see you next time.